Shane, now, did you were you always a Street Fighter gamer, or did you just start playing the new one and dove headfirst into the lore? So, Street Fighter Two came out when I was like, you know, thirteen, twelve, something like that. So I was I was playing a lot of Street Fighter Two. You know, what I mean, that was like the arcade game du jour, unless you were playing like NBA Jam or Iron Mike's Off Road Racing. Were you actually playing Street Fighter Two on a cabinet, or did you get it for like the Super oh, yeah. Nintendo? Okay. No, I would I would, I would do it in the cabinet. No, look, Stanislav. I mean, I was so into Street Fighter Two that I had a coffee tin, which is weird because. I don't know where that came from. My family didn't drink coffee out of like a coffee tin. I don't think they drank that much coffee, but I had a tin, right? And I cut a hole in the top for like dollars and coins to go into. And then I pasted like the Sears catalog or like maybe the Toys R Us hubba, ads hubba. Of, oh, okay. of the Super Nintendo on the side of the can for like my, my incentive to be like, oh, if you save up. You can get that Super Nintendo in Street Fighter 2. I had, I had like combo sheets on my my walls of my room uh i wasn't i don't think i was particularly good but i liked it a lot my my friends who had super nintendos i would like be like oh yeah, let's play some street fighter let's do this but then I, I fell way off i didn't play fighting games for like since like uh dreamcast mm-hmm. do you remember soul soul caliber i played a lot of yeah, soul, soul caliber soul on was playstation good. one whoa yeah. soul caliber yeah. Oh, yeah, Soul, Cal- Soul Calibur 2 was like one of the good games on dreamcast I played I, a lot of that i made the greek girl the in, Greek girl. Yeah, and the guy with the nunchucks in Soul Calibur. Those are the two people I played. There there were nunchucks in Soul Calibur? Are we talking about the same game, Dave? Soul Blade. Soul Blade. Is Soul Blade the first one? I played the uh, first I think one, so. Soul Blade. Yes, yes that's what it is. There were that's future ones. Because Soul and... Calibur was not on PlayStation, but maybe Soul Blade was. Yeah. I forgot about that. But no, and, and then I just was like, okay, this new one's coming out. Let's get in. Let's get in deep. And it's been fun. I, my, my buddy came over the other day, like who's local, and we, we played... Like face to face, we played some Street Fighter Six, learned some stuff. Did you play for magic cards like I did in like eleventh grade, tenth no, grade? You, you, you played for Anti. That's we, not we that's play, not officially in the rules. Dave. We not played allowed. Street Fighter Two for Anti. Yes. Dennis <laughs> loves. Good to see you. It's been yeah, forever. Yeah, I just want to say I had very different art on my wall growing up. I was not putting <laughs> was cheat, it, cheat codes. Was it a Corvette with some some yeah, yeah with, Fa- with Farrah Fawcett? On the hood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stanislav, should you introduce what the, this podcast? Oh, yeah. I should probably pull up the show notes to do that, huh? Although I suppose I yeah. could do it from memory after 231 some odd episodes. Well, hello and welcome to The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Manchester, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, my friend, it's been I feel like it's been too long since I've seen your face. What, what time is it? Are you eight hours ahead of me or nine hours ahead of me? What time is it? Seven hours ahead of you. It is eight 11. Is it 8 p.m. your time? Oh, only only a mere 7? Per- perfection. It's uh, 20 p.m. Tw- it's just 20. They don't say p.m. or a.m. <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's no p.m. It's just 20. It's 20. If it's 20 p.m., that would be... I mean, does that circle back around? No. 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 What? Okay. I don't know. Man, it's so annoying because people will like write hours and 24 hours, but they don't say 20 to one another. They'll still speak in a.m. p.m. 
So I'll, I'll, hold on, what? It's you know, pick a lane. And then when I point out the absurdity of it all, they accuse me of of needing child's time. Oh yeah, you American, <laughs> you need child's time, don't you? Child's time. Twenty is the hardest one, right? Because everyone else says twenty one hundred or twenty two hundred for a lot. You can say that easily. What do you say? Two thousand? It's two thousand <laughs> o'clock, or do you say twenty hundred? Like, what do people? It is the hardest one because all the other ones you can say nineteen hundred, eighteen hundred. They all sound fine. Twenty hundred sounds weird. It's one quid. Yeah. It, no, Shane. It stands here at the Shane, most. Shane, that's deep. That's that's deeply offensive. <laughs> also with us is the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. Ah, uh, hey. So Dave, long time no see. Yeah, you were just at my house like three days ago. What do you mean? Long time no see. That was that was that was the I was just teeing that up. It was like another life. It's like another life. Last week was crazy. Was it crazy? Kind of busy. I was out it of was, town yeah. and then we were doing a bunch of house prep and then we had a big fourth of July barbecue and Shane and his lovely spouse were here and then we hung out and then there was rain and then uh my battery backup failed in the middle of the barbecue. Oh, yeah, we, we made a battery. Battery backup failed in the middle of the barbecue, so there was a high pitched alarm going up off when people had had a bunch of cocktails and I had hey, to fall into a crawl space and disconnect the battery. Problem? I disconnected the battery and then the next you day. You unplugged it. Yeah. I unplugged <laughs> the whole thing. That's how you solved the problem. Yeah. <laughs> and then the next day I had to make a battery. That was fun. Battery acid everywhere. Yeah. Stan, did you know that if you buy a battery, sometimes from Home Depot, it comes empty and then you have to go get a box of sulfuric acid and dump it into the battery to make it into a battery? This is just classic, DIY battery, baby. Yeah. classic American deregulation. The acid lobby. <laughs> you, can put, you can put whatever kind of acid you want in there. It turns out it come, the batteries come empty. Dump lemon juice in there and see what happens if you want. I bet it won't work. I bet you would work poorly. I bet it won't keep your. I bet it won't keep your uh, basement dry. Never happens with a British battery. Fine British battery, same build, same design as seventeen seventy four. Full of biscuits. <laughs> only only one company is called the King's Battery Company. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it treats you right. You can use it to light a torch. Perfect. Which a torch. is what they call not that a kind flashlight. of battery. You're gonna put a. <laughs> A 20-pound battery attached to a flashlight. <laughs> it's a very, very bright flashlight, yeah. aka torch. Or, or one very, kind of battery. very uh, not powerful battery. We're not talking about batteries today. No, we're talking about modern, the people's format. In fact, it's going to be an interesting episode. We have a lot of results to go through. <laughs> so many. Can, can I, I'm going to spill some, some tea about the preparation of this episode, okay? Okay. You did too much. You didn't, well, uh, you didn't curate it enough for your own sanity, it sounds well, like. Ostensibly, it was going to be a, a deck dump episode, right? Because it was like, oh, well, there's a hundred decks in this deck dump, and then like as we went through it, it's like, oh, wait, something doesn't seem quite right with their their deck curation. And meaning like there was so many decks that were like just one or two cards different, which is kind of like it used to be what like a, a good handful, ten, twelve, fifteen cards, there was something, something like, like that. that. Yeah. There was like a rule, and so it was like, okay, well, yeah, there was. Well, there, I think it was a techno tech, technological rule. It was like you know if if difference greater than X put in list and then everyone's like, well, this is cute. This is clearly curated by hand to indicate, you know, the power of some things and not others. But anyway, so what it ended up being was like, okay, this tech dump is not particularly telling about much related to modern. And I did a lot of work in that. I was just like, okay, what are these decks doing? What's the difference between them? Then it was like, Oh wait, we have the NRG team trios. Oh wait, we have this giant tournament, the, the legacy European tour. Oh, wait, we have like a, a big 
challenge, like one of the major modern challenges. And so it just sort of kept scaling into this, well, let's just talk about what's going on in the overall meta. And there's just a, there's just a lot of stuff. There's a lot of results, a lot of stuff to talk about. And we're going to try to discuss as much of it as possible. But first, some housekeeping. No new patrons, no increased tiers, but we do have a new review from Chile. <laughs> Chile. Oh. Yum. Chili, that's the title of the review, Chili. MTG and Chili, yum, daddy. Oh, it's from Patty McDaddy. Yeah, so yeah. We, so this clearly is in response to the person on Reddit who posted a couple weeks ago saying, hey, remember when you guys talked about your award, Chili Cook-Off award-winning recipe last fall? Your, your what? Your wife's yes, award-winning my chili. wife's, exactly. And uh, yeah, they asked for it and I posted it in Reddit. And so we got a review out of it. So that's uh, that's how you uh, that's how you do community engagement, friends. Talk about chili. We're just talking about chili. Dave, I have some Cincinnati-style chili I made before I left for my trip. Mm-hmm. I made it. I chucked it in the freezer. And now it's thawed in my fridge. God, man, I can't wait to eat that. It's, of course, using Beyond say, Meat. I was going to say, there's no meat in there. but Beyond Meat. Okay. Yeah, this is delightful. It'll be good. It's still it. good, right? Oh yeah, it's amazing. I made it before. It's, okay, it's, it's it's perfect. It's perfection. Awesome. So that's my that's my award winning chili. Well, if Since you want I, the same Cincinnati. chili recipe that this person gave us a five star review on iTunes for, go check out our Reddit post from about two episodes ago. Perfect. What, what, what is else this? do we have, Stan? What other what other kind of housekeeping do we have? I need to know what's a Cincinnati chili. What do you what do you put in there? Like hoagies or something? <laughs> ha, have a, you been to Skyline or heard of Skyline Chili? It's a I, I have fast heard food of restaurant in it's Cincinnati. A parlor. It's a parlor, David. Okay. To parlor, um, that's what it is. It's it's Cincinnati style. It's Skyline style chili, but there's a number of different places that make it there. If you just know one person from Ohio, they will not shut up about Skyline chili. Like it's their one claim to fame. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame <laughs> sucks. All they have is the chili. These are opposite ends of the state, though. You won't often find people from Cleveland who want to talk to you about Skyline. You know, Skyline talk to you. It's not in Cleveland at all. There's no. one single Skyline in Cleveland, but there's like 30 in Cincinnati. Like it's very much a Southern Ohio thing. But really, what it is, Danislav, is it's really just like a seasoned meat sauce, and it is served on top of spaghetti, all covered with cheese. Cheddar. That's a three-way. Three clear. Cheddar cheese That's, on top of spaghetti yes. with chili, and uh, yeah, it's called a three-way, and it's kind of Greek-inspired in the spices, uh, but it's really a bolognese. It's like a bolognese, basically. It's like a somewhat Greek-inspired bolognese with cheddar cheese and and spaghetti. Yeah, that's the thing. So yeah, there you go. Eleven and a half minutes. We we did it. Too much. We have a lot of results to go on. So but we have we haven't talked with the Patreon. So if you want more chili content, please check us out at patreon.com slash the dive down, you know, help us out, become a patron of our podcast. We've been doing this for a while. You know, we know podcasts can ebb and flow. We could really use your support over the Patreon. So go check out patreon.com slash the dive down. If you would rather give us a little bit of support without going through the overlords at Patreon, you can go to our store at the divedown.com slash store to buy hats, shirts, they will mail out immediately because we don't because ha- those are print on demand. Someone handles them. We just do the design. They pop up. You will get them in about a week if you buy them there. People really love the hats, by the way. The hats are I'm wearing nice. And Shane is wearing one right now. That's right. Mana Traders. You know, Mana Traders has been a longtime sponsor and partner of the Dive Down. If you want to try out renting cards on Magic Online, you know, there's a season, there's an all access pass right now on Magic Online, but still, that won't be forever. Go check out manatraders.com. Use code the dive down 2023 to get 10% off of your first two months of rental cards. And in other magic stuff, go to Energy Plus. 
NerdRage Gaming. Use code DIVE8 to just buy some cards and get 8% off. That is just a gift to you from the fine people at NerdRage Gaming. And finally, this week we can announce a new sponsorship. Is that right? That's right, Dave. And this, this might be a sponsor that some folks recognize. Fans of the show may recall late last year, we had a guest on, Randy from Heavy Play, came to talk about his Kickstarter for a new line of Magic Card accessories, and we are thrilled to announce that Heavy Play is now one of our esteemed sponsors on the Dive Down. If you don't recall, Heavy Play is a card gaming accessory brand that is designed to improve your gameplay and your whole game day. Their playmats, deck boxes, and card sleeves feature qualities such as enhanced ergonomics, mobility, and protection to make sure that your cards are taken care of and everything is easy to use. Their Equip Mag system allows you to magnetically attach dice trays, your bundle decks, and carrier playmat all in a single hand in one beautifully attached, elegant mechanism. You can get it at your local game store or you can shop at heavyplay.com and you can also use promo code the dive down 2023 to get 10% off your first order from heavyplay.com that's the dive down 2023 i was using heavyplay this weekend i used the whole system i went to an yeah. rcq on saturday i had the dice box i had uh, the the deck box and i used the playmat i did not use a dive down playmat i was using the heavyplay playmat strictly for convenience purposes and you get exactly what's on the tin it was so Simple to just attach everything to one thing, not have to fumble with your your playmat, roll it up into a plastic tube like an idiot. <laughs> don't, don't be an idiot. Use Heavy Play. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure Randy's going to love that tagline. Yeah, but you know we've had prototype stuff from Heavy Play for a while that we've been testing and play with. Love the stuff. Uh, Randy, we part, we've been talking with him for a long time about doing this partnership. Go check out heavyplay.com, as Stan said. Sweet. All right. So, as Stan mentioned... Actually, I think Dave mentioned this. NRG, one of the ongoing supporters of the Dive Down. We are the official podcast of the NRG series. It takes place all over areas of the Midwest. Just a few weeks ago, we talked about the Chicagoland Modern uh, 10K event. This weekend, they had a team trios event in St. Louis, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that means Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy uh, with 92 teams entering. We'll talk about each one of their decks uh, in just a minute. But of course, because of the Team Trios event, we can't really know the performance of the modern decks. But I think what's interesting here is to look at the, the breakdown of what people brought, see how the meta is beginning to shift in these paper tournaments with a significant impact of Lord of the Rings and, of course, the One Ring. So I thought we'd start with the usual, the modern meta breakdown. And it's pretty interesting because... If you remember, just a few weeks ago, we we had some data for what people who attend these NRG events were bringing, and things are turned a little upside down now. And that begins with four-color control being the most popular deck in the room. 15.2%, 14 teams brought four-color control. 
as everyone's been talking about, these are significantly more popular and more powerful with the addition of Delighted Halfling and the One Ring, potentially some Reprieve if you want to go that way. And these decks performed pretty well. Uh, five of the teams of the 14 made the top 32. Of course, it's like it's it's challenging. It's, well, it's, not, it's impossible to say that these decks performed well, right? These teams performed well with someone in this modern seat running these decks. So just you know, keep all that in mind. I mean, I have a feeling we're going to talk a little bit more about performance later on and from the non, non-team results that we have, but these team results are a good place to start. Yeah. Living ends up next. Nine teams, almost 10% of the metagame. Strong meta share for living end here. Um, of course, this is universally seems to run the new land cyclers, cuts down on the lands. Not an extremely strong showing for these teams, however. The top appearance was uh, 12th place, but this quickly fell to the middle of the pack or lower after that 12th place team deck. Hmm. Surprising. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I think we can, we'll talk, I think, more about these decks in detail and perhaps the, the other sections where it's individual performance. So I'm just going to keep running through here. Mon- Mono Green Tron. Again, nine copies, almost 10% of the meta. Second most popular deck tied with Living End. That's something, right? Like, this is a major shift in popularity now that the One Ring is just part of the plan. Uh, I don't think the teams that ran this deck performed particularly well. Two of them in the top 32, but overall, I just want to talk about this for a second. Like nine teams of you know ninety-two were just like, hey, let's bring Mono Green Tron. And formerly, if just a few people are on Tron, just kind of the old Tron stalwarts, the the hardcore Tron folks were bringing the deck. But now it's just like, hey, we're we think this is a good deck. I mean, we'll be really curious to see where this goes with some of the other tournament inputs that we have. But I don't think we should be too surprised. It had some moments on Magic Online recently. It definitely had had a moment in the last energy tournament from the week before last as well. So, you know, I I think that people want to get ring out. We talked a lot with Devin last week about Karn being a good counterplay to other decks playing the ring. You know, it fits. Yeah, and I think I think in addition to that counterplay, just the overall Tron go big strategy is pretty good at going over the Omnath decks too. So I think there's like a paper, scissors, rock situation happening here as well. Mm -hmm. But if we cut off to those three decks right now, Four Color Control, Living End, Mono Green Tron, keep those in your brain, everybody, because I have a feeling that those we're going to keep coming back to those three as a as a little group as we go through the rest of this discussion. For sure. And then another deck I think we'll talk about just a lot this episode is the next one, Golgari Yawgmoth. Seven copies, seven point six percent of the metagame, the most. Typical new inclusions are Delighted Halfling. Many of these are running some number of Orcish Bowmasters, even some teams running the One Ring here and there. That's hardly seems to be standard, much as Delighted Halfling and Orcish are. And five of these seven teams made top 32. I'm sure it's all in the back of Orcish Bowmasters and Delighted Halfling in these Yawgmoth decks, but yeah, I think we're going to have a lot to say about Yawgmoth the rest of the app, but Yawgmoth has always, is typically pretty well represented at NRG tournaments, but this is, uh, yeah, it's a good showing. Uh, fourth, The fourth most popular deck on the weekend. Mono White Hammer. Remember this little chestnut. Six copies, 6.5% of the metagame. There's also a single Azorius Hammer that's not included in this uh, total of six. So I think we're still seeing people think that this is what they want to bring to the tournament. They're still believing in it. Clearly a bit less than before. I mean, not dramatically. I mean, it's it's such a small field of 92 teams. You know, I mean, that's, that's you know, people on the floor. It's you know, 276. 
but you know we only have six modern decks two of the 92 to represent this but you know i think before we'd probably see hammer more in the you know 10 plus percent so it's kind of dropping here the only real shift is the continued use of forge anew in the main deck and two of these teams made top 32 with the list so what have you all been thinking about hammer i feel like it's been kind of out of the conversation since the release of Lord of the Rings, like people are really focusing on Orcish Bowmasters, the Levitt Halfling, the One Ring, and not many people are kind of really focused on, oh yeah, Forge Anew is really changing the game for Mono White Hammer. Well, it's certainly not changing the game for, because it's, I, I don't know about these lists in energy, tell me if I'm wrong, but all of the lists that I've seen has have it as a one of or a two of. Yeah, one or two of, at yeah. Best, at best, and almost like 80% of the ones that I've looked at when I was putting together a paper list of this, just because I have Hammer had Forging as one of, so I just put the one of that I opened in a bo- in the deck and said, that's fine, which is kind of how I thought it would be played. So I, I think this deck was already had a down arrow next to it. You know, Devin had talked about that a little bit recently as well when he's been on the show. And, I, you know, I'm kind of surprised that this is fifth or sixth on the list, I guess. I would expect it to be a little bit lower at this point. But, you know, when you get to six, five, four, five, six percent of the meta, you're really looking at a bunch of decks that are about the same tier anyway in my mind yeah. so yeah i mean i also think with like kind of just the increased possible prevalence of things like Karn the great creator or kind of just other artifact exile hate perhaps or like kind of uh artifact ways that people have to invalidate you know whether it's going to be the ability to equip things or just increased uh, nullification of the power of these things like it makes sense that monoway hammer will probably just continue to see sort of a potential downfall but who knows I mean, it's like it's a kind of thing where if people are bringing in a few different pieces of artifact exile hate then it doesn't seem quite that bad because that's just sort of replacing the destruction effects with exile effects. And that's not necessarily quite as bad, although it does make forge anew less valuable. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Like if, if mono white hammer, like you said, Dave is, it was already kind of decreasing in popularity and potential power as sort of maybe other, other boats were, I mean, I guess all boats rise at the same rate if they're in the same lake. I don't know. That's a bad metaphor. Well, let's let's see what happens with this one and the rest of the the rest yeah. of the tournaments. Five color creativity, uh, six copies as well, six point five. This is the biggest shift since the last paper tournament just a few weeks ago. Creativity was the most popular deck at Chicago Land, if my memory serves me correct. And I think a lot has been said about creativity and how it's going to be impacted by the shifting metagame around it, right? It's like, I don't think it's in a great position right now with, you know, one rings are providing protection from things like Archon triggers, the counter magic that creativity relied on potentially has less utility with all these things like halflings, the the halflings. Exactly. Two of the teams still made top 32 here, but five color creativity definitely on the downswing, at least from the people who attended this event. Rhinos with five copies, five and a half percent, not very popular this weekend and wasn't on high performing teams. Only one team made the top 32. No one's appearing to try things like Ringo's and no one's really running bone crusher giants, a surprising absence, maybe in most lists, maybe people are just saying like, Hey, I'm going to run this thing back. I'm going to keep just, I'm just going to see what happens and and no one's shifting things up with like questing beast or bone crusher giant yeah i I think part of it is that it's not just about trying to get around the one ring it's that the living matchup is so difficult that 
you're both like getting bogged down by fog effects as well as like the card living end is just such a house against you and the the combination of grief plus force of negation plus living in's cascade combo being like really good against your plan makes it pretty difficult i think for for hammers in a field where there's a lot of living in going around you mean rhinos by the way he's just oh. the hammers but yeah. yes, no, yes. They, uh, when stan sees a nail all rhinos are hammers yeah exactly sometimes when you're a nail everything looks like a hammer you know what i mean yep. the i mean i think also too i mean there's more to fairy three not going to be great against cascade that's just not something you want to see a lot of so you know, I think that that's, that makes sense. Like, it's just not a great place for for Rhino players, I think, right now out there. Just Guy Breach, five copies as well. These are notably separated from the Is It Breach decks, of which I will spoil it. There were three. The One Ring is showing up in these Just Guy lists, and the teams using it had a strong performance. Three of the five teams made top 32, potentially higher, as we'll talk about in a second. So more on that in a bit. Recto Scam, only four teams. On scam, 4.3%. Orcish Bowmasters were popular in all of these lists. One team even attempted, seemingly attempted to fight the One Ring with Shieldred in the main deck. Well, you know, if they take one damage from a Bowmaster trigger, why not try two damage from a Shieldred trigger? You know what I'm saying? Let's do it. Seems good. Strong performance here. Three of the four made the top 32. Azorius Control featuring Kira. Also had four copies. Uh, Less popular than the Omnath-based four-color control decks. Azorius is using the one ring to add to its potential power. Two of these teams made the top 32. Amulet Titan, three copies, 3.3%. Another deck some people are, some people, not everyone, is trying to use the one ring in. And one of these teams made the top 32. We have three Is It Breach folks not using the one ring. These are the classic Is It style we've seen in the past. Two of these three teams though made the top 32. And then other were 17 teams, but 18.4% of the metagame in this other there was no murktide so there was no murktide in yeah, any the, of the no. 96 teams or whatever 90 no 92 teams no murktide unbelievable i mean like it was just like did did something get miscategorized like was that off the list somehow it just blew my mind that no one was playing murktide i mean i guess there's a type of thing where it's like what what's changing for us here like what what is what's appealing for the paper player going to hang out at an event and saying like, yeah, I'm going to bring, I'm going to run Murktide back. Right. Where they're like, I was particularly attacking the meta. Yeah. I mean, again, like this is just one piece of the meta that we're looking at and it's a really specialized piece at that. I will say we're very used to, to energy players running a lot of Murktide. Yeah. For what it's worth. But I know that on some of these events, Murktide was still a player in them. And so I don't know if that's a trend that means anything other than maybe people didn't want to play it in a team tournament for some reason, but that's kind of my assumption. I, I feel like if I'm prepping for a team per- tournament, I, I'm under the pressure to like play a deck that can earn me free wins. And I don't know that Murktide has any in this environment. Yeah, I mean, you want to pick a deck that gives you free wins, like four color control. Like that, see, like I totally agree with you, Stan. That's how I would approach it. If, if let's say the three of us were on a team and I was in the modern seat somehow. Because I know you guys would put me on Legacy because none of us know anything about Legacy. So you'd be like, Dave, play Legacy. But, you have um, the expensive cards, Dave. Yeah, exactly. But like, it is funny to see that exact thing where I'm like, yeah, I could see people playing Tron and Living End as being things that are really kind of free gamey. And then being like, oh, well, but Four Color Control was still what people picked more than anything else is a little surprising. And other thing I thought was kind of surprising was like a really low amount of Asmo food combo stuff as well. 
just one copy of those decks. I think those are something that people are paying a bit of attention to recently. And so I'm kind of mildly surprised that no one was just like, yeah, let's, let's try this asthma food thing. It seems I'm having a lot of luck with it. But again, it's one of those things that maybe it's just, there are decks that do similar things just more reliably, more consistently. And like you said, it kind of maybe more with a free win thing, like a living end or even a green Tron or something like that. So let's just get into the top performing team decks really quickly. First place, Colorless Slivers. Oh, wait. Miscategorized, misnamed on Melee, calling you out directly. Uh, this is a four-color control list. The team captained by Mason Grody, uh, of course. Hey, Mason, yeah. cut it oh, out. Hold. You're not funny. The... <laughs> Cut it out. Calling you out. So this, of course, had four One Rings and four Deleted Halfling. Something that I've seen pop up in a few lists when I was going through a bunch of stuff in One Ring decks is a single Minamo schools, school at Water's Edge. That's where I attended grad school. You can pay blue. Actually, I would never attend grad school here because you... Because it's add, blue? Yeah, it's blue. You add blue. Or you can pay blue and tap Minamo to untap a legendary permanent, which may include the One Ring. So that's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. Let's let's give me some more one ring activations, please. Mm-hmm. Second place team, Andrew Branham. They brought Green Tron with a now standard three one rings main one on the side. Third place, Brandon MacArthur's team. I'm I'm using these names because these are the names that they are in melee. There's like I guess like a team team appointed team captain type person. So forgive me if I'm not saying the other people. Brandon MacArthur, uh, their team had Golgari Yagma, three Orcish Bowmasters, two one rings, four delighted halfling. Fourth place, Ben Barr's squad. They brought Jessica Breach, four One Rings, and a Haywire Might main. Eric Burgart's team also brought Jessica Breach, four One Ring, and a Haywire Might main as well. You don't say. I don't say. Sixth place, I actually did. Sixth place, Devin Slater and friends. They ignored the existence of White Mana, used Is It Breach to you know eschew the One Ring, looking more classic here. Christian Valenti's team went old school, just used Five Color Creativity. Looks pretty stock to me. And eighth place, Connor Malali's trio brought another Jeskai Breach deck with four of the One Ring and a Manamo in the mana base as well. So if you're counting, that is six of the top eight teams had modern decks that ran the One Ring in some capacity. Four more decks in the top 24 did as well. It is sort of arbitrarily. It was like 24 seems like a good place to stop. That brought us to a count of 10 in the top 24. And in terms of decks running Lord of the Ring cards, just for curiosity, 20 of the top 24 teams had some inclusion of the One Ring, the Land Cyclers, Orcus Bowmasters, Forge Anew, and Reprieve. So yeah, I, it's safe to say Lord of the Ring has impacted modern. I'll say. And then the winners of the event in the end were Eric Burgard's team of Grayson Nemitz on Mono Green Devotion and Pioneer, Matthew Weiss on Jeskai Breach in Modern, and Burgart on Death and Taxes in Legacy. So congratulations to those three. Okay. What do we think? Before we go on, team team thoughts, anything? It's a lot of rings. Not absurd, but a lot. It's a little bit different than I would have expected. Cause like Stan was saying, like in terms of team stuff, like I would for me personally in modern right now, I'd be like, how do I how do I get the free wins? And that for me, that's not four color control. It'd be something like Living End or Tron. I guess Yogmoth is potentially sort of a combo win that can get around uh, the one ring. So this notion that four color doesn't get you free wins, I know where you're I mean, coming. Pretty free. I, well, it's actually like a fifteen hundred dollar win. Money right. pile, am I right? 
here's where I think like the difference between that and Murktide though is that you could make the argument that Four Color is the best deck in the format. So even though oh, like, I the, do make the argument that it's the best deck in the format right now, I think. But go ahead, po- possibly. But like whether or not you get free wins doesn't change the fact that maybe your Four Color games are like grindy, but you're always favored. You always have the advantage bar. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, because so many of the cards are broken on rate. Basically, you know, there's either pitch spells or four mana draw engines or Omnath that brings you back. So I, I could see that, but you know, it's still an interesting thing to see. I'm, I'm a little bit, I, I was just here trying to take a look through that energy data a little bit more to see if I could find a Murktide somewhere that was mislabeled as colorless livers. Yuck, yuck, yuck. But I, I didn't see any either. So no, I was digging, but my, I guess what I was getting at though, is like, in terms of what I would plan on bringing to this is I would have expected maybe a little bit more living end, a little bit more yog. Maybe a little bit more creativity, although I think people are seeing the potential weaknesses there. So just kind of like, or, or something like Breach. It just the, sort of the decks that's like, hey, I did my thing and it was good enough to win if you didn't hate me out type stuff. And then to sort of rely on my team to carry the games that I didn't do that or I faced the hate or something like that. So where do we go next? That's We're, we're leaving yes. leaving this Teams Trio tournament. We're and leaving now we're America. Take a look at the... Oh, we're going to leave America entirely. Let's go straight to Stan's new home in Europe. I guess, are you in Europe? Is that technically Europe? I thought, you know, the Brexit. Are you your own continent now? It's the British Isles, but we're we're still in Europe. Continentally. Okay, good. But not (laughs) continental Europe. Well, this... this, (laughs) You're like Madagascar. So, Legacy's... Legacy. European Tour. It's secretly modern, not legacy at all. That is the name of their brand. That's right. Yes. So this this was a big tournament in uh, Bologna. How do you actually say that city? Is it Bologna? I think how you just said it. In I fact. thought it was I thought it was Bologna. So my my Bologna has a first name. It's, it's LMS. It's O S C A R. Hey, that's my Bologna's first name. Yeah, it has a second name, and that's M A Y E R. Yeah. No. Is it M E Y? I think it's M A Y. It's M-A-Y-E-R. No, yeah. that, that seems weird. It's Golovchuk. His name this, is Oscar Golovchuk. <laughs> this tournament. Oh, yeah. Stan. I totally forgot. <laughs> my, wow. my, my kid's Sorry. name is I, Oscar. This this was like, I, I hijacked the bit. And I, th- don't I thought it was Oscar. It was, a, it was a good hijack. He deserves a choice of whether he's going to be mentioned on the podcast. My children have said, please do not mention me by name. I don't want to be associated with this in the future. So. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's my why kid, I would just call them my child. Right. My kid just learned to say the word mermaid. So I don't think he knows what podcast is yet. So yeah, he's a, he's you're a buying him, But you're buying him those aether vials and Sulin of the sky or whatever, right? Felon of the sea and sky. They're cheap. Yeah. They're cheap. I'd be crazy. Well, the, I have to invest in his future. You get it. It's yeah. crazy not to buy them. But this tournament had 676 players. Big paper tournament in Bologna. And we had some nice meta breakdowns done by the tournament itself, which is nice because I think they did some work double-checking deck lists, consolidating things, because these numbers that they provided didn't exactly match what was on Melee frequently. Like, for example, like the, you know, the four-color control here was split up among things like you know four-color mid-range, four-color elementals, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you, legacy European tour folks, for doing the hard work for us. So they provided a graphical chart of the meta breakdown for day one. This does not mm-hmm. include percentages, so you're going to have to bear with us, listeners. You're not going to get exact percentage numbers. You're going to get deck counts. So the first one up here is four-color control. 66, 66 folks, which handily is about 10%. 
And so, yeah, that's a lot. That's It is I mean, a little less than 10%, though, which is interesting because yeah. I was expecting, I, I still expect Modern to be pl- over 10% for whatever the most popular deck is of the moment, you know, in the 10 to 15% range instead of the under 10% range. So it is kind of cool that even though a lot of people like four color, it's still below 10. Yeah. And I'm just, I'll just run through, let's just get through like maybe the top eight or so, right? So we've okay. got Racto Scam, 56 copies, five color creativity, 54, Living End with 48. Is it Murktide making us making a much stronger appearance here? Still the fifth most popular deck in the room. 41 copies. Hammer with 36. Mono Green Tron with a mere 31. Golgari Yogg, 26. Rhinos, 24. And then I'll end it here with com- uh, Combo Breach Style decks and Burrow Spurn at 23 copies. Yeah. So just to be clear... That spread that you just gave is basically between nine percent of the meta and three percent of the meta. Yeah, going that's my down, usual. That's my right? usual arbitrary cutoff. Three percent. Three percent ish. Twenty three is around around three percent of six hundred and ninety. I will point out some notable things below this. One is that burn is indicated as an eight versus Boros burn. I'm curious what that actually means. Maybe Boros, maybe there was more burn that they didn't catch. I feel like after all this hard work that I would have understood what this difference is. But we had we had a, a nine mono black coffers pilots. More on that later. <laughs> we had uh, 16 Azorius control, 18 five color zoo still hanging out there. We had four people on Boros convoke, the modern version of the Boros Convoke deck. Mm-hmm. We even had some people on Jeskai Prowess. So there's a lot of stuff still happening out there. Yeah, but main differences here between what we saw before. This much, I think this falls much more in line with what we expect the meta to be in a lot of ways. Although, surprised that Living End is lower than Scam and Creativity. I, I, I would expect Living End to be higher, even in an event like this. A little surprised that Murktide is fifth and not third, personally. And maybe I'm a little surprised that Mono Green Chan is only at fourth five-ish percent of the meta and not closer to eight percent of the meta so i got there are a few surprises here scams a little higher than i thought creativity is a little higher than i thought at this point and maybe those are the two big ones can, can we talk and when i'm asking this i'm like hey friends maybe you can help me understand this and i know stanislav you mentioned that you you mentioned in uh, in your your words on screens last week that dave and devin so kindly read off love that you mentioned that you've been playing some scam been playing some scam Wait, you're going to ask the guy who got a 3-2 and not the guy who got a 5-0 with Scam last week? Oh, yeah. You played Scam, too. So what is Scam doing right now that is still so good that people are running it out so strongly? Like, is it the fact that it just still can can scam you out? Is it that Orcish Bowmasters is better than people are giving it credit for? Like, what's what's the deal with Scam? Yes. Okay. I mean, Stan hates Scam. To be I clear, do. I do. Yeah, yeah. Not a deck you like playing. Well, well, D- Dave, you you had a, a hot run. Like, do, do you have a sense for what what's Scam's competitive differences? I have a theory, but I, yours might be more informed. I think it's very good at disruption, of course, because of the grief openings, and then it's really good against low interaction decks. So if you have a deck like a Tron, and that's a big part of your meta, um, you're gonna feel pretty good about scamming people. I think it's pretty good against. Living end, depending on how you, I 
think, depending on how you make them spend their force negation, if they have to force negation your feign death, but you manage to get a different card out of their hand with the first scam trigger, that's probably helpful too. Um, so I think the decks that rely on those kind of like taking taking a couple of cards away with grief early are pretty pretty good still. Yeah, yeah, and not to mention Dothy Voidwalker, just like a house in the living end matchup too. Yeah, 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 and it's still playing those. The list that I played was two bow masters for void walkers i think that they're most I, I didn't see a lot of these lists close up so we'll see maybe we can take a look because this de- this tournament was actually won by scam am i right scam versus murktide was the finals of this tournament um so I, you know i think scam just has a lot of play it's it's a good mid-range deck i don't think it's particularly great against four color control so you know that's a little bit of a problem but we could see where it goes from there I, there may be data about the the four color matchup but I don't think it folds to four color necessarily because you could have those openings of where you grief your opponent and then you get down, um, like you do a turn one grief, turn two Ragavan, turn three Blood Moon. Or you can sometimes yeah. get Blood Moon out onto with a Ragavan, an unchecked yeah. Ragavan. That, that's true. It's it's more like you can't really lean into the Fury openings with that or, the, or really expect your feign death grief to survive because they're just going to solitude you at some point and so that's that's the stuff that maybe is a little harder to like if you put all your eggs in one basket with scam against four color it's probably going to be trouble but um if you play a grindier game like they do or you have some some tools for that or you blood moon them that can be good although blood moon isn't that great against the lighted halfling you know so it's kind of like we talked about last week so i I, like i said i don't think it folds i just don't think it's a great matchup in that case either yeah i think halfling like you do have the bolts and the push but half the halfling openers is is kind of what makes your 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 furies better like can be yeah yeah. it can yeah and i think the other point to answer shane's question that that dave you you kind of hinted almost at the other side of this where it's like it's good against uh low interaction decks I also think it's kind of hard to interact against. Like, Feign Death is a protection spell. Like, it's practically a counter spell. So that even if, like, someone tries pointing a Solitude or Lightning Bolt at at your grief, like, there's a chance you blow them out entirely as well. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that part of Scam is a little underrated. You know, I even, for example, sided in Shieldred against a Tron player who tried to kill my Shieldred with a Dismember, and then I Feign Death. (laughs) my shielded and just brought it right back and that does feel like a blowout when you get in the mid game we were kind of like oh, i'm going to bring back one of my good creatures i'm going to bring back fury again again like it, it's true those those spells are feel bad but they can be still pretty useful even even when you're not doing a turn one move i don't know i think scam is a good deck you know i, th- I think it's like a good fine deck it's not everybody's taste you know because like stan said you run out of gas but um you know i think they're it's a fun deck still it's probably my favorite deck in modern if i really think about this list of things it's the thing that i feel the most comfortable playing right now sweet yeah i mean it's just probably just the what the only and good thoughts thoughtsy style deck right we're just like i'm I'm gonna take people's pieces away i'm gonna make decisions on what they want to work with and make it hard for them to work with their original plan and just force them to rely on their what they draw it's certainly the only one that's featuring, let's say featuring Thoughtseize in this top 15 or so. So I think that, that makes sense. David. Shane. David, I, I received recently a large... A little treat? Oh, look at that little treat. Because summertime is a time for treats, Shane. Are those the, the, the Trader Joe's? Get out of Trader Joe's, uh, the little cones. I'm holding a tiny blue bunny 
little bunny ice cream cone in my hand right now. If I hold right. it closer to the camera, then it looks <laughs> oh. huge. If I hold it back, it's it shows how tiny. No, it keep really is. keep it close to the camera because it makes me want it more. Yeah. All right. Well, but some, but but we we also received some other treats this <laughs> yes. this uh, some summertime treats from our longtime friends at Barrister yeah. Amand, right? Yeah, Dave. I got my favorite thing the the large white cardboard box from Barrister Amand, and inside. I'm just eating my cone while you're no, talking. Go for it. It contained shaving soap samples of Presto and Adagio, which you have heard us talk about in recent weeks. I also have a bar of soap of the Lemon Vervine. And what I'm most excited about is the vial of lavender interrupted fragrance. And what I thought I'd do is one of our classic crack packs from Barrister and Man. I was just going to live smell a few of these things you know, as we talk. All right. I love it. I have one to throw into the mix too, but oh, we'll what do, do that have? after you do yours. Okay, let's do lavender interrupt. I'm just going to spray this. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, what is it I giving? Think the the initial thing, of course, is a lavender, but it's mm-hmm. there's much much more. I would say a little bit of like patchouliness, some lavenderness, some like cloveness, some vanilla, but then there's like a really good balance, of course, of like the lighter stuff, like a little bit of. Definitely some like vetiver, which is like you know sort of herbaceous and whatnot. So this is this is this is kind of astounding, honestly. And like I'm a fragrance guy, you know that I've mentioned this in the past. And I think this is like dare I say it in like you know unisex, unigender. It's mm-hmm. uh, I think women and men and people of all folks on the, oh, yeah, on the gender spectrum go for it. It's yeah. great. So that's that's the first thing I'm gonna enjoy. And what was that one again? That is the lavender interrupted fragrance. Reason that oh, was I know that was interrupted. a labor of love uh, for Will over at Barrister and Man. And then next up, I'm just gonna do that. I'm gonna do the Presto because I think Presto, okay. if I remember correctly, is Presto faster or slower, Dave? Presto is faster. Presto yes. would be fast. That's like 200 beats per minute. Yep. <laughs> Smells fast. This is. I mean, this is this is super light. Like this is like a wake you up in the morning shaving soap. For sure. It's got like, it's not quite menthol-y at all, but it's definitely like, you know, very big on the the herbs, the freshness, lemon. I'm into that. Excited to use that. I used this morning, I did my, my favorite thing, which is Shave with Barrister Man products. I used my remaining bits of Atomic Holiday. I also got one of the clearance bottles of Atomic Holiday, the uh, Aftershave Splash, and I'm, I'm loving combining those two things. So, yeah, I mean, I'm hyped to use all these things for sure. What do you have, Dave? So I have an eau de cologne. And as you may not know, or you probably <laughs> do know, Shane, I don't use too many fragrances, yeah. but it's summer. What is this one? This is the eau de cologne citrus rose, and it is a member of their discontinued Lotha line, okay. Limon, a soft, fresh blend of lemon, orange, and rose, perfectly balanced, a scent that is light, refreshing, and which will withstand even the strongest, stickiest heat that wave. That sounds great. And I got to tell you this, it's got a vibe that really feels like, hi, I'm here. <laughs> I'm here. I'm ready for fun, but not in an obnoxious way. Like in a real, real like, hey, you might want to stand next to this person on a, on a, a summery day and have a couple of light beers and a, maybe a, a Blue Bunny oh, ice man. cream cone. I am, I'm jealous of that. So yeah, if you want to check out the variety of products, you know, fragrances, shaving soaps, bar soaps that we mentioned, uh, all, all kind of good stuff for you, your family, your loved ones. Get it for yourself. Get it for some gifts. You can go to Barrister and Man, M-A-N-N. You can use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN10 
M23, that's like magic, 23, for 15% off your first order. Let's Will over at Barrister and Man know that you came to them through us. Get a little bit off your total at the end there. And keeps us going with uh, Will, our longtime sponsor over at Barrister and Man. That's right. Get a little treat for yourself this summer. All right, but let's talk about this day two breakdown. So we got good data on conversions from this. And so I saw this morning online, Shane pulled it into the doc, looked at this earlier, that uh, Anil Yahi on Twitter shared a post from another user that had shared conversion stuff. So you're hearing this fourth hand. Yeah, this is by someone named Lardak on Dis- Discord that shared the conversion data of the meta breakdown, which is great. And why don't we go through that? So Word. the conversion data here, it is going to go in order of what the day one meta is. And then we'll talk about what number decks actually made it into day two. Or do you want to talk about what the, what the best was? We have both. Like, do you want to go through the day two meta in order of prevalence? Or do you want to talk about how things compare day one versus day two? Yeah, let's just start with conversion rate rather than just kind of list it all down. So yeah, let's just start with kind of just like the best performers uh, from day one, and it starts with a little deck called Mono Black Coffers. <laughs> That's three, where we're starting. Well, okay, th- three of the nine players made day two. That's true for a thirty-three percent conversion rate, and so and what, one of them made top eight as well. Right? Yeah, spoilers. So what this deck is all about is Karn, Karn the Great Creator, Shieldred, the One Ring, a bunch of really annoying-looking to play against control spells, it looks really unfun to play against. You know, you make a lot of mana, you get stuff with Karn, you cast it from your wishboard and make your opponent not able to do anything. I mean, it's just a, Tron, it's a Tron-esque plan with yeah. different payoffs, right? Yes. You use coffers, you get big mana, you use Karn, you cast big spells. Like, this is this is where we're at. Mm-hmm. This had a 53.3% win rate as well. So it did perform well it converted well and mono black coffers if this becomes a thing that people in tournaments more in the u.s more magic online start playing and winning with to pay a little bit more attention to this but for now interesting sort of rogue strategy yeah tron is up next a 25.8 percent conversion rate sounds really significant but then the actual win rate of the deck is around 51%. So it's not terrible. Um, It just sort of indicates that maybe some people ran really hot and maybe the people who ran cold just sort of dropped early. And yeah, I mean, 25.8, the second most successful deck out of the day one metagame. So Tron did well here. Yawgmoth also doing well with a 19.2% conversion rate, a 56.7% win rate, on mm-hmm. the melee data. Many players at this tournament were on the three Orcish Bowmasters and two One Ring Plan. I think this shows like a slightly increased adoption of these cards, at least in the European metagame. I, I mean, for this deck, I guess just what? Zulaport Cutthroat wins through protection? Like you still combo off, their stuff doesn't matter, no matter how many cards they have or what their board presence looks like, you're still going to kill them? That, that is true. <laughs> Good. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see, I wish I knew more about why Yawgmoth 
is sort of seeming like it's increasing in popularity, increasing in power level a little bit right now. I think that's, I think you hit the nail on the head. And one thing to note too, is like generally blood artist is what people run in that yeah. deck. Right. And if you're running Zulaport, the difference between blood artist and Zulaport cutthroat is, is the targeting. Yes. Blood, blood artist targets Zulaport doesn't. People have talked about this before in the past and we're always kind of like, well, it doesn't really matter that much. It's much better for us to have access to Blood Artists because it's whenever any creature dies, we get a trigger. Yeah. But in this world, Zulaport Cutthroat, which doesn't target but only triggers on your creatures dying, is a better fit because you get to win through somebody's ring turn. And in fact, turn four can be really definitive for Yawgmoth, right? So if Yawgmoth is ramping and they're getting ready to do their combo and your opponent spends their turn four dropping the one ring and is like, hi, hi I'm going to fog you you don't care and maybe they're totally shields down. Yeah. I mean, when I think about it though, I'm just kind of like, well, Fury's still out there. It's Where? Still, it's it's in Scam. It's in It's the, in Scam it's in and the it's Elementals in Four decks, Color. The Elementals decks. Four yeah. Color, I would love to see these lists. Devin was talking about how Fury was getting less popular it in is. those decks and might only have be a two of or be a sideboard kind of thing that people do. Scam is definitely running it for sure. But the rest of this list, there's not that much Fury that has to be here. Yeah. Right? Especially when you look at the numbers that are there. Yeah. And the Delighted Halfling is in all of these Yawgmoth decks. It does mm. survive Ren and Six. So maybe that's just like enough of the time you're having a turn three Yawgmoth or, you know, double spelling more often, more early because you have increased access to mana with like your wall of roots and your mana dork surviving. And maybe that's just enough where it's like all these things are adding up. I really think it's also the fact that the ring fog trigger doesn't do anything against it. So if there's a ton yeah. of people playing the ring, then yeah. Yeah. I guess we, I kind of want to go back to Tron for a second too, since we're kind of seeing Tron do well. And really the only difference is the one ring and the existence of Karn in the deck. Like it has Karn, it has yep. the one ring, it has a wish board. And maybe that's just enough where it's like, hey, you can't use your tools against me. Uh, at least if your tools include the one ring. Right. And I go over the top of what you're doing. Like, I don't really care about your four color control nonsense. I, I don't really can, uh, care about, you know, a, a number of things you can do. I don't really want to face down scam that often where it's like, oh, I have my path to Tron or I have my big Tron payoff and scam's just like, well, get that out of here. But yeah. I, I think that there is a lot of, I think Tron's one of the decks that I think you and Devin, Dave, were kind of like, what goes over the top of four color? Like what is yeah. kind of the, the biggest end game? And I think Tron is still always you know has been that particular player yeah i mean i think that's why it's possibly good right now or why it's gotten a tick up for sure it's one of the best ring decks it's got it's got eight rings in it basically because it can go it can go get the extra one with with karn it stops your opponent's rings and it has bigger payoffs for, to use for the mana and it has things like ulamog main yeah. deck where you can just kill kill their one ring and get it out of the way and then keep going on your side so um yeah, and you know, four color control has struggled kind of against Tron over the years. Like, I'd have to look at the matchup data to see for sure, but that feels like a matchup that Tron should win. It's just, you know, we get to, I get to the top of my chain and I kill your guys and I move on. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, clearly that's a deck that's on the rise right now and should be. Yeah. Azorius control is up next 18.8% conversion rate. Three of the pilots made it. So, you know, it's not like it was a huge deck on the weekend in general. Overall, it did have a sub 50% win rate at a mere 46.7. So Azorius Control didn't blow the doors off, but simply because of, you know, three of the pilots making it 18.8% is one of our higher conversion rates. Yeah. 
Any thoughts you all have about Azorius Control? Like, this is literally just, hey, I'm still Azorius Control, and I have a card draw engine, right? I'm I'm honestly not sure what what the appeal is. I, I, I mean, would people be love playing Azorius Control. I I guess, but like. <laughs> The, the Omnath decks are so similar that we see like Azorius controls like splashing for one-off Omnaths from time to time. Yeah, you know you're still playing like encountering heavily on Solitude, and some of them are playing Ren and Six. Even it's like Azorius con- control splashing Ren and Six. Like I, I do think it's a continuum between those two de- decks. I mean, control is is also trying to go over the top of the f- the standard setting deck of the, the ring right now which is four color right so it's kind of like if i go more control i can go over the four color decks and also kind of maybe sneak through some of the other stuff up next five color creativity 13 percent conversion rate a low win rate at 46.5 percent on the weekend so if you go back check the tape it was the third most popular deck in the weekend it performed fairly poorly and you know we talked about this a little bit earlier right like why the creativity decks might be kind of pushing a boulder up a hill for a while until they potentially can adapt or they just sort of just decrease in popularity because of the metagame around them. Dave, have you been playing your favorite deck, Five Color Creativity at all? No. I know. No. Yeah, not at all joke, right Dave. now. Yeah, okay. Speaking of favorite decks, Rhinos, a mere 12.5% conversion rate, a mere 48% win rate. This is kind of where I think Rhinos is going to be for a bit i think i have seen people test out some new tech i saw a deck running questing beast which if you remember one of the 16 lines of text on it says that damage from creatures you control cannot be prevented yeah so that is a way around the protection from the one ring of course as you mentioned last week dave uh you and devin mentioned about how Bonecrusher Giant could potentially see a place coming back into Rhinos because you cast Stomp. That has the damage can't be prevented clause on it as well. And then that gets your your damage through the, the protection of the One Ring. But this is just a deck that unless you're playing the One Ring, nothing was really added to it. And I don't know if the additive nature of the One Ring, the power of the cards, excuse me, from the Lord of the Rings set, the power of the cards from that set I don't know if they're so good that it's like, well, it's not like Modern Horizons where it's like, you're either playing Modern Horizons 2 or your deck stinks. But we're at a point right now where the metagame is so significantly shifted that Rhinos may take a dip here. So, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on Rhinos right now, Stanislav? Are you, are you like rushing to play the One Ring in it? Are you like, I want four bone no. pressure giant right now? No, I'm not rushing to play the One Ring. Maybe it's just good enough that that's probably correct, but it feels incorrect to me because it's unpitchable. Um, yeah. I know you love the pitch. I love to pitch. Yeah. I think that... You can fit that on your on knuckle tats, I think, if you do it just right. P-T-C-H. <laughs> Everyone's going to think I'm into cricket. <laughs> I think they call it bowling. Yeah, you're a bowler. Okay. But they do it on a pitch. Is that not, not no, right? No, that's, that's, that's where footy is played on the pitch. I see. I see. I don't know. I don't have thoughts about Rhinos right now. I do think that it's probably suffering. Like, if if you look at the metagame immediately before Lord of the Rings, like, and after Rhinos took a big, obvious hit, I think that it has an uphill battle against the two possibly strongest, maybe even three strongest decks between Living on Scam and Four Color. And I don't know if there's any number of 
bone crushers, questing beasts, or whatever the heck you want to play that can like solve all of those problems. Yeah. I do respect the fact that like it's still a very consistent proactive deck and maybe you can just ride on like cascading on turn three and then having some well-timed force of negations or other interaction to to get you across the finish line. But I I feel like the format has, has slowed down too much for that to be as consistent as it used to be. That's That's my concern. If I were to play Modern right now, I would probably try to source cards for something else. Like, I might actually even just look at Merc because I have that, or Burn because I have that, but if I wanted to play... What about Living End? You, you have Living End. So, I, I do have Living End. I even got the Oliphants. But the thing that sets good Living End players apart from, my, from me is that the best Living End players know how to beat the Hate and can, like, beat a Resting Peace or Leyline of the Void, and I... I I find those hard. <laughs> so, and living in mirrors, I hear are terrible. I don't think I've ever done one, but I've heard they're they're like unbearable. Um, so yeah, m- maybe I actually would just look at living in, but in any case, I, I don't think rhinos is kind of the thing to do in the current metagame of, of the month, basically. Yeah. So the list of decks that we just talked about for what it's worth are all the decks that either gained l- large percentage of meta between the first day and the second day or gained a small percentage of meta between the first day and the the second day so just a rehash of that list regardless of what their win rates were that was creativity that we talked about mono green tron golgari yagmoth rhinos azorius control mono black coffers those are the one two three four five six those are the six yeah, that's decks. It. Yeah, six decks that gained. the The list of decks that lost from day one to day two is pretty interesting as well. So, four color control actually had less decks in the second day than than in the first. That was a very sl- small amount, even though they had a ten percent conversion rate. It was actually less than the, you know, they ended up with less meta between day one and day two. Very small difference. Uh, scam was less than between the two days, but also pretty much close to the same the same those are the ones that weren't far off uh, living end and murktide were also similar where they were technically less but not like a huge amount different hammer starts to be quite a bit less combo breach starts to be a good amount less boros burn five color zoo and amulet titan all are decks that had a good amount less between the two kind of days than than they did than those other decks yeah so i think i mean this is good data we have both win rates and conversion rates and there's a bunch of people playing so i'm happy to have such a large paper tournament to see how the meta is beginning to take shape more firmly perhaps let's get through this top eight really quickly we have ricardo gorla on amulet titan we didn't talk about much about titan but this deck is one that is trying to one uh, run the, the one ring this particular player ran three up next was maximilian Prisbaliski on Scam. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher these names because I do not speak this language natively. We have Wojciech Kolosczyk on Golgari Yogmoth. Two one ring there. Lawrence Vanderbeek on Golgari Yogmoth as well with three one rings. Enrico Mercurio on Mono Black Coffers with three, three one ring. Igor Titoff on Scam. McKay Kundergraber on Merktide. Whoa, Merktide still making it. LB Bale 93, which is how they're listed on uh, Melee. I don't know if that's their given name, but Abby Bale 93 was on Scam as well. So we saw three Scam in this top eight after a pretty middling weekend. 
Uh, and, you know, the deck still does seem strong in the hands of capable folks. Like you said, when we were talking about it earlier, it can do things other decks really can't in the format. It can, it can disrupt what other people are doing in really significant ways and then still turn the corner and, and finish people off. So that, I think, is one thing that, you know, maybe... Some, I mean, I guess four color can also do stuff like that, just disrupt in a different manner. But this sort of does the proactive disruption that, you know, you get to pick what you take out of people's hands. So, Well, I think that, that one thing here, too, is it's like you said, it's one of the only decks that's running hand disruption is a major part of what it's doing right now. And last week we said, I don't I said, I don't think that thought seizing the ring was that great because, you know, then you a lot of times they just redraw into another one and the decks that run it don't really care about Thoughtseize that much. But I'm kind of thinking about it a little bit differently now. I'm wondering if Hand Disruption's a bit better against these kind of f- decks that hinge on really good four drops than, um, than they used to be because it gives you a chance to maybe grief them and Thoughtseize them or maybe you get to do a little bit more. So I don't know. I'm thinking about it a little bit differently now. I'm wondering if that is one of the better answers. Seems like always a good target to take it out of someone's hand for sure. Okay, Shane. So we've looked at a couple of tournaments now. Yes. You did a lot of work on data this week. Eh, enough. What? Enough. <laughs> enough. Enough. Where do you want to go next? Like, what what other piece of data do we think we have that we should well, that is worth adding some more dimension to what we've been talking about? We have some cool challenge stuff, Stanislav. I know that you are getting into some spreadsheeting of that, and it's a secret spreadsheet. I don't know where it is. You're right, Shane. So what I've done is I looked at every modern challenge, including the one showcase challenge that has happened happened since Lord of the Rings cards were available on Magic Online. So that takes us all the way back to the, the I think it was the Friday challenge on June 23rd. Now, if you recall, during those first few days of LOTR legality, cards were only available in treasure chests. Yeah, so we had the yeah, card availability problems. Yeah, it was, it was bad. So the data starts to change over the course of the next, what is it, three, four weeks, 11 tournaments, give or take where we start to see like cards eventually become more prevalent once people are able to like get them through drafts um, or, or actually just like literally buy them directly from, from card hoarder and other (laughs) retailers. Right. Yeah. Or like, yeah, the rental services having them, things like that. Right. So, yeah. So what I've done is I've combined all the decks that have appeared in the top eights as listed on MTG goldfish from these tournaments, as well as uh, combined all of the, uh, listed top cards, top creatures, and top spells. And there's actually a turning point that we we can see when like Lord of the Rings cards really hit. Because um, in the first couple of tournaments, it was still basically more of the same. You know, if we look at just just to throw this out there, we're not going to actually go through every tournament one by one. But the June 23rd challenge, which was won by Grinding Station playing the One Ring, Corey Baumeister, right? Is that Bonk 101? Mm, maybe not. I thought, yeah. He won one, though, too. So anyway. Right. Well, in any case, we still see Crashing Footfalls, like, in eighth place. So people were sourcing it, but um, the top card in that tournament was Endurance. You know, so, like, not necessarily uh, Lord of the Rings reaction. We really start to see Lord of the Rings reactions appear among the top cards on July 1st is when the One Ring became the most popular card in the July 1st Modern Challenge. 34 copies in 31% of decks. Wow, okay. If we look at overall top cards from these 11 tournaments, 
The One Ring is actually number nine. Ninth, yeah. It's the, it's the ninth most popular card in the last three, four weeks of tournaments. And I think it's trending up currently. Ragavan actually remains the most popular card, but I think that has to do with the fact that like Scam is really popular. And like some people are still registering Murktide. We still see like the mono red generic Ragavan decks. Breach, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, if we look at top creatures, the impact of Lord of the Rings Orcish Bowmaster does also have a big appearance where it's the seventh most popular creature across these tournaments. Yeah, and Delighted Halfling is the eighth most popular creature as well. Yeah. I I wonder where um, the cyclers come in. Like, I see Generous Ent come in at number number 31. It's the 31st. Surprising it's that low, but, you know, maybe maybe, uh, Living End hasn't quite taken off the same way. Although, your top eight data over here would indicate that Living End is one of the decks most likely to top eight that's true yeah so if we look at the actual top eight data four color omnath has done the best all right across all these tournaments it's made top eight 11 times in one tournament in particular it did it five times that was that july 1st tournament where the one ring was the most popular uh card it was in first second third and fifth that's the one where like aspiring spike and harry 13 had a four color mirror match and spike came in second yep Looking deeper into like likelihood of one eights, Scam is close behind. So Scam made top eight ten times, followed by Murktide, which is still putting up decent numbers, third most popular deck in top eights. But then we see Yogmoth, then we see Living End, and we see Amulet Titan. So I think Amulet Titan is good to mention. We haven't really talked about it yet. Amulet Titan is also a one ring deck these days. Yeah. Yeah. Surprise, surprise, everybody. So, right. So if we're looking at like the decks most, the what is this, the top six most po- likely decks to top eight in this period, five of the top six are playing new cards. The mm-hmm. only outlier is Murktide Regent. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. yeah, Lord of, the, Lord, Lord of the Rings is good. I think this kind of helps put into perspective, like the paper data we're seeing too, like especially behind Scam, Omnath, um, and, and Yogmoth to, to some extent. So what's interesting to me here, I think, is that like the deck that was already good and perhaps got better is probably Rakdos Scam, right? Yeah, I mean, I think Rakdos was in the top two or three, and it's still in the top two or three. Kind of surprisingly, it's really only picked up uh, Bowmaster. That's kind of it. And I don't even think Bowmaster is that amazing, but it does help a little bit against decks that want to draw a lot, a lot of cards against you a little bit. Yeah. And then, you know, we haven't really talked about how to play Bowmaster, but, you know, the interesting thing with Bowmaster is it's also good with Feign Death. Like, eventually people will try to kill it, and then if you Feign Death Bowmaster, it comes in and triggers all over again and makes your your army bigger. Yes, it does. Although Bowmaster doesn't, we got to remember, it triggers on ETB and also whenever someone draws an extra card. Right. So you're still getting triggers off of it. But if someone does kill it, yeah, you do get an extra trigger there. It's probably not in response to their draws, but you'll get an extra ping and you'll get an army that gets a little bit bigger as well. Yeah. Stanislav, thanks for putting together some data on this. I'm interested to see, this is the kind of thing where it's like, now it's almost makes sense for to bring it back, perhaps, like the monthly an- analysis of the modern metagame, because I think we're going to start seeing more shifts uh, in, in the coming weeks and months, of course, as, as 
people keep adapting to what's going on. Well, don't forget, there's a ton of people getting ready for a Pro Tour that's two weeks from now. Oh, yeah, the Pro Tour. I can't wait to talk about this some more next week. It's going to be interesting to see how, how do we do a Pro Tour prediction episode that's significantly different from this one because I think what we want to do Next, after all this, you know, we've had the team tournament, the paper tournament, a breakdown of these recent online tournaments. I spent a bunch of time looking at kind of just recent deck lists from the modern leagues and seeing what people are bringing there. And one of the things that we've done in our past kind of like deck dump style episodes is to sort of give a general, you know, up arrow, down arrow, where do we see these decks trending? Where do we see their uh, relative power level to where they were just a few weeks ago? And you want to play the up arrow, down arrow game. Yeah, I love that game. Absolutely. Okay. This this is going to be scattershot in terms of the order of these decks, and I and I'm hoping I'm including everything that's worth talking about. Let's talk about four color control. Can you just can we define what does up arrow mean and what does down arrow mean? Do you think it's better than it was? Do we like it or not? Coming into the next couple of weeks. Yeah, up arrow, down arrow, or neutral. Would you do you think it's better, worse, or or neutrally positioned before compared to before the Lord of the Rings? Compared to before Lord of the Rings, yeah, okay. that's where I'm at. Like yeah. you know, be, like you know, okay. in terms of where you would talk about it a couple of weeks ago and how how good do you think it is now? Gotcha, gotcha. Do you, gotcha, like, gotcha. How, do, do you like these rules of engagement, Stanislav? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sure. listener can play along. Four color control. I think it has to be an up arrow. Much better than than before Lord of the Rings. Yeah. yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's probably it's 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 like the deck to beat right now. Probably if you have to plan for it, you have to plan on seeing it. You have to have a, a plan against it. You hope they don't get a million cards. Up arrow and power. Down arrow in what it does for the format. Okay. Well, yeah. What it does for the... You mean how much you enjoy it being in the format? Oh, I don't think it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Merktide. Down arrow to format health, perhaps. Yeah. Merktide. I'm going to give it... I'm going to personally give it a down arrow. I don't see... It, you know, counter magic is worse, I think, right now. I don't see what it's bringing to the table that it wasn't doing before. It wasn't the finals in Bologna. Yeah. I, mean, I still think it's probably a down arrow compared to some of the other decks, but I wouldn't be surprised. Here's the, here's the question for me. Maybe we can talk about it more next week. But when you think about these decks, like what decks are people actually going to pick up and play at the Pro Tour? Yeah. It's very hard to convince people not to play Lightning Bolts and Counterspells at a Pro Tour, but I do think that there's a chance that they won't. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think there's a chance like, that some of these other decks will be more prevalent than than Murktide going into the Pro Tour. Even with a bunch of people who really love playing, is it is it control? You know, is it decks like this? I still think it might be less prevalent than even now than even Bologna. All I'll say is that Murktide it's a side arrow because I don't think it was that great before Lord of the Ring. It was like it had it it already had a down arrow, so like I don't think it's actually getting worse. I think it's just kind of like still the same Murktide. Okay, that's fair. How do you feel about five color creativity, y'all? Worse, clearly yeah. worse. I think. Yeah, seems worse. Yes, it can't do. It can't take advantage of like the new Lord of the Rings stuff. I think it has a hard time with like Living End. Breach seems to be making a bit of a comeback. You know, I just, I just don't really know what what you're gonna do with this. So the payoff just isn't good in this context anymore. It's not as good as it used to be. In, yeah, in I mean, it targets. Yep, that's the problem. It targets. You don't get as many spells cards off of that move that you as you used to. Yogmoth. Obvious up arrow. Yeah. yeah. Seems good. Seems good to me, clearly. It has ways to win that other decks don't. And, you know, with I think if we keep seeing people trying to, you know, play the one ring, win through repeated fogs, things like that, then yeah, sure. Yogmoth. Rakdo scam. I think we've we've said our piece about scam, but anything you all want to repeat, do you think it's better than it was? Or do you think it's kinda of like still good? 
I would put more of a side arrow on it, I think, honestly. I don't think it's particularly gained from this metagame, but I, I think it's managed to endure and remain a good deck. That's kind of how I think about it. I, I feel like it's it's at like 1.30 p.m. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it's, right. it's trending up where right. it, it is still as good as puts up as good results as it did before, but it's possibly benefited from the fact that like it also got new cards that it can continue to put up good results. Like if Orcish Bowmaster wasn't a card, would Scam be as good? Yes. It, it probably would be, right? Like yeah. Orcish doesn't like add anything game changing. It's just like a nice new toy that fits in there. I mean, it has to be game changing enough for people to add it to the deck and like take other cards out, right? I think it's, ju- I talked about this a little bit last week. I just think that Bowmaster is just the best black two drop other than Dalphy Voidwalker. Yeah. And so all these decks that run black that want a two drop, it's just more value than you can imagine being on a piece of cardboard for two mana value in black. And so it's good. I think it's a very good card. I think it's, you know, but, and it's useful and it's potentially useful against the ring as a fine piece of kind of penalizing your opponent for taking cards off of the ring. But, you know, I also think that it's not game breaking. It's not totally crazy. Although, you know, it's the seventh most popular creature in modern of, um, on stand sample of Magic Online data. And I think that part of that is because it also happens to be the highest one on there that is black that people actually cast. Because Grief mm. is the most popular creature on Stan's list of, of data. But, you know, you don't really cast Grief. You do cast <laughs> Bowmasters. Yeah. What do you think about Burn? Like, I, 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 I don't think this is weirdly the, uh, the metagame where people can try to go under these slower decks right now because of the repeated fogs. Right? Like, I don't think Burn's fast enough to get under, like, turn three rings and other things like that, or the life gain from Omnath decks for Pete's sake. I don't think we'll see... I think we'll see barely anybody bring Burn to the Pro Tour. Because pros won't be, bring Burn, and it's not a good time to be playing Burn. I don't think anybody's going to bring it. Unless Ari Lax... I know Ari Lax wrote an article on, like, Channel Fireball last week that was like, you should play Burn with four Roiling Vortex main right now. And it's like, I maybe, you know, maybe that kind of thing will we'll push it over, but I, I don't know. I don't think so. Do you guys remember, like, six months ago when I was complaining that no one's iterating on Burn and they should be playing Rolling Vortex main? And then no, I don't remember that mm-hmm. at all. Nope, didn't happen. I do. I think no, it's I a lot better now than it was six months ago, but, but Sam, I'm know, still ready, ready to give you partial credit. You know what changed? The Rolling Vortex What changed? They play Rolling Vortex main now. Yeah, because Eidolon's terrible. No, exactly. I'm saying Rolling Voite- Vortex is better now than it was six months ago. Oh, oh, I don't even know about that. Okay, six months ago, people were still cascading. That's true. That's yeah, I think. True. I mean, it's just a good. It's a good tool against the life gain for sure. And I think you see a little bit more of that. But I mean, I don't know how much appreciably more. I guess four color control is if it's if it's ten to fifteen percent of the meta, then like I don't know. It doesn't does it really make Rolling Vortex that much better for like your eighty five percent of your other games? I don't know. Yeah, maybe Green Tron clearly better. Yeah. But how much better, really? Like, if we're going from, like, 40... I mean, if we're going from, like, 46% to 51 52%, that is a lot better. But is it, like... It's is a it, lot is it worth? Is it, so there's definitely an up arrow for me. I don't know if that means... Do I think it's a tier one deck in the meta? I don't know yet. Does it have to be? No. I mean, this is the biggest addition to Tron we've seen in years a long time Karn? yeah right like when was the last time like tron was like putting up good results or or was a viable choice actually maybe it was during like one of the 
four color Omnath eras, I think you could play Tron to, to beat it. So yeah, but you're right that this is the first definitive card to get added to Tron since Karn, probably Karn the Great Creator, oh, and that's they, four years ago now. That's at the very beginning of our show. They have been playing Leveler too. Yeah, Cityscape Leveler. That's 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 a good card. It's in almost every list. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not a four of in the no <laughs> in the seventy five. It's just a good card in your in your Karn board. Yeah, you know, in the main deck, it's kind of it's one of the main deck creatures now at, at eight mana. Oh, okay. It's like a yeah okay. big you know eight mana good card type thing. I think people are also kind of realizing that like you know Karn Liberated can come out of the deck. Let's build this in a slightly different way. Let's you know let's let's figure out new colorless strategies and not necessarily rely on the old ways of building this deck. So I think it'll continue to iterate. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a much better choice than it was. It makes me happy, but I'm not buying one rings right now. So yeah. So there's three decks left. I think that are on this list that we should talk about. Yes. What are they? One is one is rhinos. Yeah. Down arrow. Rhinos. We've all kind of said we think it has a down arrow. Unfortunately, you can still buy rhinos merch at our shop if you want to. It'll Please stay do. There <laughs> for when it comes back. Hammer is the other one. I think we all think that hammer is probably on a downslide as well. Right. Yes. Yeah. And then the yeah. last one is breach. Yeah. I think Breach is actually should have an up arrow next to it. I think the results at Energy make me think that Breach is a little bit of a sleeper right now as far as one ring decks go. Didn't perform super great at Bologna, and there's not a huge amount of it on Magic Online. But Underworld Breach is one of the other extremely broken cards in Modern that seems to be underplayed by people. Yeah. And so putting Breach with the ring and doing kinds of weird stuff with that feels to me like I would put an up arrow next to that as well because I think it's one of the best ring decks. Yeah, the Jeskai version? I mean, I, any ver- I mean, Jeskai, I guess, just because then you're playing Teferi 3. But yeah, yeah, I would be playing Teferi 3 if I have the one ring personally. But yeah, I'm all for Stan it. Stan looks skeptical. I, I find that deck really hard to evaluate because I feel like it's like a specialist deck where the people who tend to do well with it do well with it a lot. Like it's your Jesse's yeah. and your Corey's of the world. And yeah. I don't see it like, and get, yeah. And, and like the NRG gamers love it. Like it is a popular deck in the NRG meta game tournament mm-hmm. after tournament. So right. I, I, it's, it's, I don't see it necessarily like picking up in the same way that like, I feel like when living in gets a shot in the arm, like you just see it spike where I don't know if we're seeing it spike per se, but that is also to say like, I actually, I'm, it's g- clearly good, especially in the right hands, but I kind of think it maybe has like either uh, a side arrow or maybe it's it's also trending up. Yeah. Dave, I do want to talk about very briefly Asmo Food. I think has an up arrow. Oh. I think has an up arrow next to it. I think there's like, there's so many different ways people are building these decks right now. Even in the deck dump, like there were yeah. four different, completely different ways that people are building around like Asmo food combos. I think those are unex- underexplored right now. I don't know if there'll be like you know some breakout at the modern uh, pro tour or anything like that. But I think that there's clearly something people are doing there. Are those all Samwise decks? No, that's too? the thing. That, like, they're, not, they're not all Samwise decks. There was one, my friend, that was a uh, combo with what is that that famous that famous green creature the uh this one had protean hulk as a mm-hmm. as a four of and yeah like you can you can kill it with asmo with food you can sack it to the viscerous here there's also four footsteps of the gorio like you get it in right. your graveyard get it back it dies and you get all of your combo pieces one was running a couple of the balrog because like you can get it out cheaply with like you're killing your own creatures and sacrificing stuff so it's just like there's a lot of different ways people are doing this stuff yeah 
Yeah, I think that that's a maybe next week. What we could do is go through some of this deck dump stuff and also and look for some sleepers and things like that for sure for, for what could be coming up because I definitely think that that is a whole area that will be explored should be explored again because their combo wins through the ring because it relies on cauldron familiar yes which also does not target it just does life loss life gain good point so it's it's another thing I just think that right now the way that the meta is working out is that people are either better at playing Yawgmoth or they think that Yawgmoth's game in general is better be, and and it also, once you switch over to um, Zulaport Cutthroat instead, can win through the rings. So maybe that's just kind of where we're where we're at there as far as a good creature combo deck goes. But I do think Asmo Food's a possibility. There are other things that I think are on the fringe that we should look at. Uh, maybe next week is like our sleepers list for for sure weird weird decks that might show up in the Pro Tour. Because as you know, there's always a chance that someone could break it. Although that does not really happen with Pro Tours as much as it used to maybe you know well, eight years ago. I. I- I think this this could be one of those where we see that happen, but maybe it's from the usual suspects because I don't know if you guys saw Spike was tweeting like 4-0 drops because he doesn't want his oh, yeah, all the tech to get out. published. Yeah. That's funny. So yeah, I'm looking forward to next week, get to talk a little bit more about some modern, see what's going on, and uh, to talk to hopefully one or both of y'all next week. So cool. I'm glad to get into the weeds on this a little bit. There's a lot of data out there. The format's shifting quickly beneath our feet. And so, you know, keep listening here and we'll keep talking about it. And that wraps up another episode of The Dive Down. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast, you can reach out to us via email, thedivedown at gmail.com. We are still on Twitter at the Dive Down, but who knows how much longer we're going to be there. But you can tweet us. We keep an eye on that still. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash thedivedown. It is the best way to support us. We'd love to have you in the Dive Down Nation. But you can also check out our store over at thedivedown.com slash store. Shout out to all of our amazing sponsors, including Manatraders.com. If you sign up for a Manatraders account using promo code THEDIVEDOWN2023, all one word, you'll get 10% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Also get some amazing shaving soaps, body soaps, fragrances, and more at Barrister and Man using promo code THEDIVEDOWNM23 for 15% off your first order. Save some money on paper cards over at Nerd Rage Gaming with promo code Dive 8 to get 8% off your order with them. And don't forget our brand new sponsor, Heavy Play. Shop at heavyplay.com to buy sleeves, deck boxes, play mats, and use promo code THEDIVEDOWN2023 to get 10% off your first order with them as well. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and innovate in modern.